Hey fellow fraud fighters, I'm Jimmy Fong, CCO at Seon, and welcome to the Cat and Mouse podcast. Seon is fortunate to work with businesses such as the likes of Revolut, Nubank, and Patreon in the fight against fraud. But with this podcast, we want to provide a comfortable space for people to talk about the daily challenges, topics on the horizon, and ultimately give us all a better insight into the mindset of fraudsters. And with that, on with the show. So uh, a really special occasion. We've uh, really fortunate to get Mike Jones on uh, to the Cat and Mouse podcast. Uh, Mike is uh, the host of the Haunted Hacker podcast, um, has massive experience within government agencies and plenty of experience running uh, uh, kind of red and blue teams and forensics. Uh, so really stoked that you joined the show. Thanks, Mike, for coming on. It's a pleasure being here, and I, I appreciate the opportunity. So, so for the audience, uh, Haunted Hacker Podcast is awesome. Do you want to share kind of what you what you cover in your own show, first of all, to set some scene? Sure, absolutely. So I try to leave a legacy behind, right? So I've been around the industry since before they actually had ethical hacking as a job. Um, people like me, Chris Roberts, Luke McComey, uh, a ton of others um, that I can't even list they're so long but i want to interview those people and and how we started and what we did in the very beginning so that other generations coming in can look at it and go oh that's why we do this or you know oh i really want to go this route in cybersecurity. sort of give them some kind of uh insight into what's available for them that's absolutely amazing um and i and i know it's it's really cool because it is long form so you get to dive really nitty into uh, topics with them as well. Yeah, it's, it's really strange because we started the podcast and it was just going to be me speaking to the audience. And then I brought guests in that were my friends and we literally just have a chit chat and we go into topics that we don't even expect to go into. So, Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, and it's funny, uh, just to set the tone, right? Uh, we literally started off with um, kind of <laughs> a discussion around stalkers, right? <laughs> to begin yeah. with. So, so I, I think you, yeah, you, you absolutely bring, <laughs> you, you probably experienced most stuff that's going on in the cybersec world on the good and bad side, I think, from, from that level. Um, just going back a bit, uh, what's really cool, um, back into your own history. So you, you got started pretty early, right? Uh, kind of classically as a, as a teenager around 14, 15, uh, into kind of hacking. Do, do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Actually, it started way earlier. Um, I actually started dealing with computers and, and, and electronics at 14 and 15. Um, but when I was about eight or nine, uh, I would take electronic sets and put electronic sets together. And that was kind of my form of entertainment. Um, I had calculators I would take apart and see if I could get them to do other things that I wanted them to do. And it just kind of progressed from there. I always had like a curious mind. And then uh, in my late teen years, um, that's when I started diving off into, you know, trying to wreck BBSs and, and doing things that I probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah, that, that natural curiosity kind of leads tangentially to some of those topics, I'm sure. And then also, Mike, you, you, were, uh, you, you had your stint in the military uh, as well, right? Yeah, I did signal intelligence, uh, SIGINT, uh, for short, for the U.S. Navy. And uh, I studied RF, um, radio wave propagation. Everything uh, that had to do with uh, signals, with, whether it was a weapon system, radar, or even phone communication, um, that was my job was to intercept and analyze. And then that uh, transitioned into what my later job was, 
before I got out, which was CTN, which is Network Attack and Defend. I was one of the very first in the Navy to actually be in that cyber warrior um, rating. Amazing. And how, how, how do you think that kind of shapes how you address security now, like from some of those very classic, classical technical disciplines there? So I've been trying the last year to really raise awareness on RF. Um, RF is one of those forgotten arts that can be very detrimental to any company or network. Um, I've looked at ways to exfiltrate data through RF uh, pretty effectively. And a lot of the current platforms, a lot of the modern platforms do not include any kind of protection for RF unless your company resides within a Faraday cage. Interesting. Um, I know also with, uh, with that kind of varied experience and that kind of pre-chat, um, yeah, I guess you had experience within certain hacking groups and you know, infamous ones, of course, anonymous. Uh, APT twenty eight. Uh, what? What? Yeah. What? I guess that's an ongoing thing, right? Given the the world we're in, I guess there's always that interaction with a number of those groups. Right, and it, you know, it's it's been some good interaction, uh, talking to and kind of working with current members, um, but not associated with any of their activities. But just kind of understanding where they're at now. Uh, with APT twenty eight, that was kind of a. Um, I guess, an enforced relationship. Um, I had already been in contact with them, and then the FBI uh, made me a confidential informant for a year. And my primary uh, objective in 2016 for the FBI was funneling information intelligence out of APT-28 into the Department of Justice's hands to see what targets they were honing in on and what, acti what activities they were actually performing. Um, and now, you know, I really focus on geopolitics and how geopolitics drives our industry and a lot of things that people don't necessarily see um, the bigger picture and how geopolitics affects everything we do in cyber. Yeah, that's massive. Um, uh, from a personal nerdy point of view, uh, it's, it's kind of my personal passion is, uh, is, is actually the geopolitical um, kind of interaction and you're totally right. It definitely flows down into how things like cyber uh, defense is uh, is done there. Um, I, I guess, uh, you know, I guess because of that, it's it's completely international, right? From from your point of view, and in terms of what you're seeing and experiencing. Yeah, it's it's global. So I did my predictions for 2022 in December. I've been doing this for a couple of years for TechStrong TV. Yeah. And last year, I was spot on with with the uh, infrastructure attacks. And this year, my prediction was we would see the rise of geopol geopolitic-driven cyber attacks. And, and January, I mean, right off the bat, we saw Russia hitting Ukraine with ransomware against their government. So, I mean, I've been right on track with, with the geopolitic line. And uh, unfortunately, you know, for everybody else, it, it's pretty on spot. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more geopolitic motivations and activities around that globally. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad reality. And it's, it, to me, it's, really, it's interesting also from a personal level of just how uh, this is now very pervasive and mainstream. It's, it used to be you know, fairly uh, complicated, hard to understand and isolated, but mm -hmm. gosh, it's in all our major, I'm, I'm in the UK of London, it's in all our major uh, press and The Guardian, et cetera. And it's kind of the public is getting increasingly exposed to this as well. And the understanding that, um, this is just 
a bit normal now? Well, it's always been there, but I, I don't think people were really aware of the situation. I mean, there's been an ongoing cyber war since Russia and Estonia. I mean, that was quite a ways back. Uh, but it's it's been there. It's prevalent, and you know, it's not going anywhere. Um, and uh, also in the in some of that chat before, you were mentioning on um, uh, kind of working with uh, the the London uh, the London forces as well, the police forces um, mm. as well. I'm, I'm curious, kind of. Yeah, what 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 uh, uh, kind of engagement points uh, were, you, were you kind of helping out on without diving into some of those sensitive details, right? Sure, absolutely. The, the London Met Police have been fantastic to me uh, since I was over there a couple of years ago and spent years with them. Um, they actually showed up for my first talk at Westminster University and uh, a detective, Andy Chapman, sat with me and answered questions and we got to know each other. So they brought me into London Met Police and I assisted them in the uh, intervention workshops that they do for kids. The kids who have been identified as potential cyber criminals. Um, I was brought in to you know, kind of talk to them and tell them, hey, if you go this route, this is what's gonna happen to you. And it's not comfortable. Um, and then also I talked to the parents and tried to bridge that gap. You know, This is what your kid is going through. And this is what you need to do in order to understand what's going on and kind of monitor and maintain that situation. Um, and it's been, it's been a fantastic experience with them. And then I started speaking for all the different uh, boroughs within London, um, also all over the country with the NCA. Uh, it was just a really great experience for me. And the key you said there, Mike, was kids, right? You're talking like uh, yeah, kind of, uh, kind of yeah, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 year old, these are kids. Yeah, young kids from 10 to 10 or 11 to 18. The youngest one I saw was, I think, 10 years old. Wow. Um, how, how, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by uh, in that kind of unbelievable uh, yeah, kind of thing you're, you're helping with on an intervention workshop. Like by when I think about it, when you're a kid, you just don't understand ramification and, and you know, these, these kind of what's effects because there isn't that perspective shift. Um, like. It, 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 yeah, is it is is that what a lot of the intervention is? Is to help paint out the, the picture of where this leads and to kind of connect the dots from A to B, so there's at least some understanding. Because uh, you, you you know kids are invulnerable, you know, all young. Yeah, that's the way I kind of think of it. Yeah, I mean, kids feel like they're indestructible and, and they live for the yeah. moment. It's an instant gratification yeah. type thing. Yeah, um, but I think when they bring somebody in who's been in the news, who's been there, who's done that. There's a little bit of respect there. And so the kids listen. Um, and it kind of spun off from just doing the intervention workshops to me actually being called from different police departments across the UK to help mentor previous offenders. Um, doing, I'm doing some stuff right now for, some, uh, for an individual who's a pretty high profile hack. Uh, and just kind of giving them an opportunity to see how I work now and see what I do and kind of bring them into the fold and show them, Hey, look, you know, you could be a speaker, you could be a red teamer, you know, you could have your own podcast, um, just things to give them, to keep them busy and, and give them some kind of positive outlook on the future. Yeah. That's awesome. That's that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, if we zoom, zoom to today, uh, I'm always curious to, with your, expertise and kind of what you're seeing nowadays um kind of how, what would you consider are some of the larger kind of um security issues that 
we, we as a you know kind of either merchant or bank uh, need to consider um, uh, and to think a bit deeper on how to defend against. Well, I think the biggest problem we have today, and I've been focusing on this for the last year, um, during the pandemic, the whole working from home situation and the mixed environment within that, that work, work operational type situation. Um, employers are putting employees at home in their home network and they're assuming the risk of that home network. Hmm. So you're looking at, you know, Twitter, you're looking at Discord, you're looking at PlayStation, mobile devices. Um, and that that's a risk. I mean, that's a risk on privacy. We've seen VPNs attacked. We've seen VPNs infiltrated by attackers. Uh, it's just, it's another, it's another environment we're in today. And I think that we've kind of pushed ourselves into the future, um, but we weren't ready for that advancement, I don't think, quite yet. There was a kind of a, a real sub-point of that around uh, kind of kind of even very relatable cracks around getting around kind of face ID checks, uh, et cetera. Um, it, 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 is that something you've seen as well? Uh, from, from yeah. Your... Yeah. I've actually seen as people go as far as, you know, creating masks, you know, to, to, to get past that authentication. Yeah. Um, but I've been, I've been working on an attack lately that um, I can't go into the details of it, but just, just put it this way. Two-factor authentication on mobile devices is done. There's no way that we can rely on that anymore. It, it makes total sense. So even in the sense uh, that, you know, a lot of these are based on the likeness, right? But I, I never kind of thought of, thought of it as crazily simple as, of course, then you just have a mask and you cut out the eyes and you pop it on and that's it. You know, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, yeah, it's super low, lo-fi, uh, yeah, kind of a workaround there. Um, exactly. And you're right, like, you know, pandemic has forced all of this as well. So that reliance on all these kind of, uh, kind of, uh, what were considered like the strong ways to do stuff is only temporal. Um, that's one of the things like we, we as a startup continually notice is, um, you know, fraud is a, is a, to an extent is that celebration of human ingenuity, right? And uh, mm -hmm. as long as, you know, we've got brains on us, uh, those adversaries, yeah, they're being creative. There's work, they walk, work around, they'll go under, over, beside. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, you, you live and breathe that, right? Especially starting on the kind of the, the, the kind of hacking side. Uh, absolutely. And looking at, you know, the way we do business, right? So the little thing we carry in our back pocket, most of us, the, the cell phone, has more power than the first rocket that went to the moon. So you take that computing power and you look at how we authenticate into different apps. And that's what I focused on for the past, I guess, two years was, how can I get past this, this two-factor authentication, this multi-factor, get past Duo, get past Authenticator, all those, all those applications? And I was finally able to do it earlier this year. And so that's the attack that I'm talking about. Um, I'm able to get all of those codes without even having to touch a device, um, which is super dangerous. And then looking at the fraud side of it, you know, I, I spent years um, back when online payday loans came out, and that was one of my first offenses, I guess, was conning those, those online payday loans and, and scraping tons of money out of them. Um, and then you look at people like Tony Sales, who, who made a career out of frauding people. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a business. It's an economy. It, it's a market. It's a business. Yeah, 100%. And that's really topical on the payday loan side. So uh, like you said, it's been around for, um, you yeah. Uh, a long, a long time as well, but but you know, with the resurgence of kind of fintech and the buy now pay later industry within uh, fintech, 
much as a real risk, especially because, um, yeah, like look how much funding has gone into that direction in the last 36 months. Uh, and every market has like a extremely well-funded two or three kind of fast-growing kind of buy now, pay later. Um, but I guess they're very conscious of kind of, uh, yeah, from a fraudster's point of view, what exploits are happening. What, what are some of those, um, say, uh, kind of tactics that you might have considered then when you were scraping, like you said, some of that information and able to get around those payday loan kind of companies? And I'm curious to that. Well, I would actually go out and, you know, build like a, an LLC or, or a, a, yeah. you know, a fake company, yeah. set up my own tricks box or asterisk IVR. So it appears to be a legit company with extensions. And I would go and apply for these loans and I would, you know, go through the process and pocket the cash, move on to the next one. But now what we're seeing is people playing on different, uh, I guess, high points in, in, during the pandemic. A lot of people were using Amazon and how many people have gotten that phone call from, you know, a scammer saying, oh, someone just bought an iPhone on your Amazon account. You know, if this was not you, please call me at this number. And then you call and they try to scam you out of your Amazon credentials. Hmm. So they're, they're playing on people's fears. They're playing on people's dependability of, you know, being able to shop and bring stuff into the home instead of going outside the home. Back when we saw people going outside the home, we saw a huge number of credit card skimming, you know, and, and looking at gas stations where they would set those skimmers up. But since we've lost kind of that face-to-face or that physical transaction, they've moved that to the internet. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting that, um, as, uh, sometimes as tech evolves, then, uh, it, it displaces the, that mm-hmm. attention and activity, but, but goodness me, it's still there. It's just morphed into, like you said, the other area of opportunity. And um, I do remember, um, we, we had an anonymous uh, uh, fraudster on our show uh, a few months ago, and one of the key takeaways uh, there was not just the fact that it's a constant displacement, but actually the way they looked at, looked at uh, how they perpetuated fraud was, uh, was never in the way that the industry, uh, so the fraud fighting industry, uh, kind of classifies it, uh, but instead uh, just looking at it as as opportunities. and. If it's not there, i.e., they had to work a bit too hard. There's a million other, you know, kind of opportunities that they can go for, um, uh, and it was it was a good way to reframe, kind of just or simplifying, right? Kind of right. Uh, the, the, the kind of uh, the way that the mentality works there. It was it's it was, def- it was Alexander Hall actually. It was Alexander Hall. Uh, was, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's a business, and this is how people some people get by, and this is how they feed their families through fraud. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, so as you know, our show is, uh, uh, we try and have it that's very pragmatic for our fraud fighters out there. Um, uh, I, w- I would love also your take uh, with, with kind of, yeah, just that vast experience, Mike. Um, and back to the, actually the original thing you opened up with on, you know, what the Haunted Hacker podcast is about as well, um, mm-hmm. around education of the next generation of fraud fighters. So they understand the wider context, the wider um kind of psychology of their adversary. Is there, is there um, from a practical point of view, is there kind of uh, like really good, awesome resources that you always recommend when you enter into this space? Here's how you can up your game uh, in terms of what you should be considering uh, uh, kind of joining, looking at, uh, learning from? Sure, absolutely. Jimmy, you actually hit the nail right on the head when you said psychology. Um, to really understand how to defend against people like me or other fraudsters, you really have to understand psychology. 
And I spent years just observing people and just kind of learning from what, what, how people interact and, and behaviors to look for. And I think that's key. Instead of, you know, looking at criminals as criminals, maybe look at them as subjects and look at their behavior and, and learn the psychology and what drove them to do what they did. One of my first talks was at Cambridge University, and it was the psychology of a hacker. You know, what's in the mind of a hacker? And I think if you understand that and you look at the behaviors, motivations, and the end game, I think you can defend yourself. It's just a matter of understanding people. That's awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a really good kind of stress on that. Um, terribly, I can't remember the Netflix show I watched. Uh, oh, I think it was called How to Sell Drugs Online. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't, I, um, it's based on the, 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 the kind of German uh, uh, kind of hacker that kind of set that up. But what mm. was amazing as an insight from that for me, uh, and, and, and as I meet ex-hackers, ex-fraudsters a lot, is almost just the happenstance of it and mm. maybe the lack of... It didn't need to be like a deep-rooted um, thing they were trying to achieve. It kind of is happenstance. And, and that's what's amazing is um, uh, thinking it might be as highly constructed, but it, it could just be as simple as this is just the sequence of events that led out. And oftentimes it's around curiosity. And <laughs> it's at the curiosity with uh, maybe a natural inclination for not tying the ethical side <laughs> to, right. to their actions is kind of like all that's needed, right? Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's fa- fascinating from the psycho- psychology side uh, as well. And, and I'm always curious because what, one observation that, that we always see is this crime as a service, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of making it, you, you, gosh, you don't even need to code anymore. You can just, just like a business can consume like a, a SaaS service easily, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's happening in the criminal enterprise world as well. Yeah, it's happening government level as well. I mean, yeah. we saw the first time that, that what I consider ransomware as a weapon with Russia and Ukraine. I mean, so we're starting to see a lot more collaboration between nation state and ransomware and fraudsters. Um, and I think that's going to continue to happen. But yeah, I mean, that happenstance, you know, literally the way that I found a way to defeat two-factor authentication was by accident. I've been trying it for multiple times, multiple years, and then all of a sudden it just worked. And I thought, you know, this is how it actually works in our world. You know, we get curious and we start taking things apart and all of a sudden a light goes off. And next thing you know, a security control globally is gone. Mike, um, been absolutely fascinating chat. Uh, really appreciate your time. Um, as you know, our show is uh, known as the Cat and Mouse podcast. Uh, and for, for us, we're always curious uh, in, in the world of say, professional fraud fighter uh, versus that professional fraudster or hacker. Um, who, who do you think represents the cat in that scenario? And who, who's the mouse, uh, uh, according to you? Well, I think that what we have is the industry and the controls are the mouse and, and the fraudsters are the cats because we have to attack those, those technologies. But what happens after we defeat it? You get an advancement in that technology and innovation. So we kind of we kind of push that innovation. And without hackers, where would we be? We would be stuck back in 1995. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for uh, being on the show. Thank you for having me.